Hello and welcome to another edition of Thoughts from Player One, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at one story or narrative-focused game and give our thoughts about it. As always, I'm Alex, and I'm here to talk about a very special episode. You may have noted you didn't hear Duncan at all on this one. That's because today we're going to be talking about Divinity Original Sin 2. And that game was such a task, it was such a, a monumental effort that we really had to bring out the big guns. We said, Duncan, go sit in the corner. This is, this is not your time to shine, all right? This game was too much for just you and me to handle. So we swapped him out for noted friend of the show and plant fact expert, Michael. Michael, how's it going? Pretty good, you know, feeling good to, you know, uh, do some of the heavy lifting because, you know, Duncan couldn't handle it, as you said. I I appreciate you stepping in where where he wasn't quite able to stomach it. <laughs> I'm um, glad I could fill his, his uh, monumental shoes. I, I, I appreciate it. And as, as everybody at home will note, this episode will be significantly less interesting or funny because Duncan is not here. But we're hoping to bring a different kind of intellectual wow. energy about like the plants and the flora and the fauna and, and maybe the, the uh, old RPG mechanics. Right? We're, we're, doing, we're bringing in a, a ringer that's got a very specific function, but Duncan is the humor core of the show. We've all known that for years and years and years at this point. Man, anyway, it started with an insult, and then you brought it around to intellectual, and then you ended it with an insult. You did an insult sandwich at me. I know. I as I an always introduction try. for this show. <laughs> okay, to be fair, it wasn't an insult sandwich. The last part was not insulting you. It was just saying that Duncan brings something special. I didn't want to leave him on the sidelines because he's not here to defend himself, and that would have been mean. Divinity Original Sin 2, <laughs> developed by Larian Studios, was originally released on September 14th of 2017. Uh, in, uh, notably, much the same way that Divinity Original Sin 1 did, it got a definitive edition release August 31st of 2018. You can pick it up right now on PC, Xbox, PS4, and Switch. Um, it's going for $45 on Steam, at least. I know the Switch release is much newer, so maybe it's going full price on there. Not 100% sure. And if you want to get through the game, it'll last you somewhere between... 30 to 1400 hours it's really it sort of depends on where you're at with everything if you are michael and i we played through pretty much the entire game co-op um so kind of bringing our experience in i think collectively we have was it like 400 450 hours in this game i um, mean personally i've got i think i'm sitting at about 268 right yeah now. and i'm sitting a little below 200 um and about 20 hours of my 200, not even, maybe like 15 hours of my 200 was solo and the rest of it was co-op with you. So That you know, sounds about right. Uh, very important that we do this one together because we've got um, just a, a wealth of experience with Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, for those who don't know, Divinity Original Sin 2 is kind of a, a big, expansive RPG. So uh, in, in, in the most traditional sense, uh, you are playing characters. There are stat sheets. It is kind of a isometric turn-based combat mixed with uh, like checks for dialogue sequences and exploring the world and uncovering treasure. Um, it, is, it is very old-school RPG, uh, except for updated with a lot of really interesting me like combat mechanics that I think are probably what sell most people on it. I think that's the strong point that most people point to is like the interesting way that uh, all the different abilities can interact and all the different environmental surfaces can interact. So if that sounds like your jam, again... We got 400 hours into it. You can play it up to four-player co-op, which I do not recommend, but you can play it <laughs> no. up to four-player co-op. So absolutely go check it out if you have not. Um, and I think I think we're just about ready. Is there anything you want to say before we dive into giving our 
you know, a, a more of a summation of our experience and our, our spoiler-free thoughts about it before we jump into um, that. I do, I do want to say up front, this is going to be a little bit of a looser episode. We did not play 400 hours of this for the podcast. We did not start this in 2017 going, this will be a podcast game. We just started it in 2017 and finished it about three weeks ago and said, maybe we could do a podcast about that one. <laughs> yeah. So. We started yeah. it with the intention of like, oh yeah, we'll be done with this in 60 hours, right? Ah, no. And we did make it 60 hours in. We did make it 60 hours in and a good first run before, tragically, in a horrible twist of fate, we logged on to clock our 61st hour in the final act, <laughs> only to find that every single one of our saves had been erased for some reason. Uh, and yeah. that was heartbreaking. It 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 took us... About a year just to pick up the game after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, well, yeah. we picked it up that same night when we realized that. Uh, and well, then, yeah. And then put it down and said, I just don't have the heart for this. Uh, There's and no then we, way. We picked it up again about a year later and played a little bit and then stopped and then picked it up again a couple months later and played a little bit. And in between there, you did a solo campaign that you made it most of the way to the end with. Um, yep. We we yep. put a lot of a lot of time. So again, collectively, about four hundred hours. I would say about two hundred of those four hundred hours were the first yeah, twenty hours of the game over and over and over and over and over again. Exactly. Um, and we hardly done anything with mods, so there's a lot more we could get out of this if we want. Um, Absolutely, it's it's such a deep, expansive game. Yeah. Um, with you know. a with a, a a community that still actively supports it and enjoys it and interacts with it, and if anybody from that community is listening, I just want to say, give us a little bit of leeway. It's been a long time since I played Act One, so if I forget the names of some characters or places or anything like that along the way, I apologize. Um, but Here's, we're gonna do I, our don't best. Don't worry, Alex. I've got encyclopedic knowledge about Act One, considering I played through it about ten times on my own. <sighs> it's been uh been a fun experience um so i want to maybe before we start talking about divinity 2 specifically and our, our thoughts on it um i want to you know just kind of give an overview of your experience with this type of game your experience with role-playing games in general right i think i've talked about it at least a little bit in my experience with role-playing games and this type of game on the show um but you know just so people can understand where we're coming from, because I know this game is popular enough that people come to it from all sorts of experiences, whether this type of game is their bread and butter or they've never played anything like it before. Yeah. Uh, so for me personally, I, I've RPGs are probably in my top three favorite genre of video game. Um, I started growing up with like Baldur's Gate on the on the Xbox. I played a uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Mm. That was one of the the big ones that I spent too many hours on growing up um and since then you know i've branched into just about every rpg that comes out or uh, i play dungeons and dragons on tabletop and this sort of game divinity original sin 2 really captures that you know good amount of crunch with you know good fluid gameplay it's tactical you can think about it there's a lot of builds to really think about but the role-playing element too this story rich um it's it's just a really just top notch RPG in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I definitely would tend to agree with you there. Um, you know, I think we also played co op through the entirety of Divinity Original Sin One, which probably another two hundred hours collectively into that. Um, and you get a lot of the same like really cool mechanical uh, like mechanically dense interactions. A lot of the the same kind of like puzzle solving your way through combat that seems like you shouldn't be able to win 
Um, but the story in Divinity Original Sin 1 was like, it was fine. It was okay. It was serviceable, but I never felt connected to any of the characters. I didn't like, there were mm-hmm, moments yeah. that were really cool, but there was no like story thread that I thought paid off in a really interesting way. And I think. I don't really remember the story from Divinity Original Sin 1, do you? Uh, I remember the final boss. <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that anything? There was like, I remember there were actual snowmen in one part that you There were. There were. You go to, at some point, you did go to an area where it was like, here are the four different seasons represented through like elemental deities. And I know there were snowmen because there was the snow area where we made it rain. And then the entire floor (laughs) became ice for the entire combat arena. And every single character, PCs and NPCs included, slipped every single time they tried to move. And that fight took us like 30 minutes. And I was crying of laughter by the end of it. I, Um, I just can't. Yeah, I was wondering if this story was going to come up um, and how quickly it was, too. Just <laughs> it's every time you get up, moment. it's like, don't worry, I'll save you, Alex. And you move just an inch, and it's just the banana peel slip your legs go in the <laughs> air, and you fall flat on your back. And it's like, well, that's my turn. <laughs> uh, so good. But that that was Divinity Original Sin 1. We are here to talk about Divinity Original Sin, Sin 2. Um so again, we'll do a little bit more spoiler-free type stuff. This is going to be, like I said at the top, a little bit more of a free-form episode, probably be filled with a few more stories like that. It's just kind of our time going over it. Um, but it sounds like generally you are, um, I mean, I guess we've played 400 hours of it. I don't need to guess. You are strongly in favor of this game. You think it is good? I think it is fantastic um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, Should I? Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you list a few of those for me? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Okay. I mean, just like, again, because we're going to be spoiler-free here, so I just want to give people the sell one more time before we actually go into the story and what's going on. Fair enough. Number one, Sassy Fane. Number two, Sassy Red Prince. Uh, (laughs) These are are characters. (laughs) Yes. Very well-written characters. Yeah. Um, So all of the dialogue is voice-acted incredibly well which is there's this fucking nar- wild there's so much dialogue in this game and so much of it is incidental and unimportant and easy to miss and it's all voice acted except for yeah. whatever you say but yeah. yeah no the narrator there's this one narrator that goes through all of it and he does a fantastic job um what's great about it is the writing is often just knee slapping hilarious and you know it's it's a big risk trying to put jokes into a game and you know if you force them they can be really unfunny uh, you, you can be trying too hard, but like all of it fits so well into the context of the game. It's not referential or gross or just weird. It's it's situational. It builds on the characters uh, that are around you. Uh, so like, just kudos, fantastic job. Yeah, the mechanic, it, um, yeah. The, the, I just on. wanted to to touch on the the humor in there that like like you had said it's it's a big risk and like. You know, it is maybe slightly easier because your character is not, you know, physically delivering. They're not, like, voice acting the dialogue, so you don't have, like, that portion of it. But, like, you know, in a game that is so so dense with reading, like, those joke answers didn't get old by the end of it. You know, I, I was not, like, in Act 2 and just sick of the dumb shit. Like, they continued to be funny and they continued to be fresh and interesting. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, that is really hard to keep up for 60 hours like that is and 60 hours is not like a hard it's not like a huge assumption right that's how long it'll take most people to beat this game so to continue being funny for that long is um very very uncommon in game yeah it's an achievement um i think what what helps it though is that the game is incredibly dense just in terms of writing and action there's 
always something going on around every corner. Everything has its own little story, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> I, I know I would get fatigued uh, after a few hours of this game just by trying to keep it all in mind. Uh, constantly new information. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just in terms of the the fights, right? There's all of these tactics, tactics, so many different things going on. High ground, low ground, surfaces, things that can interact, what the enemies does. Uh, there's a patch of ice over there and I don't have nails in my boots. You know, like, <laughs> you got to watch for this stuff. All the important um, things. Yeah, so that, that humor really kind of, you know, takes some of the edge off. Because uh, yeah. otherwise, I think it can get pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does get heavy. Um, and that heaviness is kind of also throughout the whole game. Uh, though it really does kind of come and go in waves i feel like sometimes the situations are heavier than the actual game is necessarily like handling them uh, and i, I mm-hmm. think that's kind of important because like i said it's a 60 hour game and you can already get fatigued so if it was just like laying it on in the way that you know you could recognize it was normally then it, it would maybe grow to be a bit too much but I, I i definitely agree that the um the way that everything is portrayed the way that everything is kind of paced and, and spread out um helps with how uh how difficult it can be to get through those sections which is not to say that it's not difficult right we took a number of year-long breaks in there but <laughs> yeah we, we got through it eventually <laughs> yeah one day I mean, we still <laughs> the, the frustrating is is that when we when we decided to pick up our final run through like Two three days after they just dropped DLC that adds oh, like God. new quests and and, God, and that sucks so much. And it's like, well, I just put twenty hours getting us through Fort Joy. Should should I do it again? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we elected not to. Um, but the the combat, uh, I do, I do want to shout out that the combat is definitely. Um, it never got old, I will say. Like, it, it could be a lot, and it was a lot of things to keep in mind, and it was a lot of, like, you know, you did really have to think about things and 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 kind of figure out your next move before you made it because there were so many, like, different um, knockoff effects that you had to keep in mind. Again, for people mm. who haven't played the game, it's, you know, a lot of looking at surfaces, looking at status effects, going, okay, well, I'll cast an ice spell, and that person is, you know, got rained on, so they're wet, so they'll get frozen, and then they can't act, so they'll skip their turn, so that's what I'm going to do, or I'm going to, you know, shoot a laser into this barrel full of ooze, and that barrel of ooze will explode and do a bunch of, you know, fire damage to somebody, or I'll shoot poison into an area, right? So it's it's a lot of keeping track of that, which as the game goes on and more and more people are using more and more of those effects became like a really interesting puzzle to kind of tease apart and go, okay, well, like I have to make sure I'm doing this, but we have to do it in this order, especially playing co-op because you were using kind of a, um, you know, we were each working with pretty good knowledge of what the other had, but not complete knowledge of like where cooldowns were and positioning and what the other person was, you know, like wanted to do on their particular yeah. turn or was willing to do or able to do on their particular turn. So you were kind of setting up things that you either hoped would pay off or you could pay off in the same turn. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. that, you know, you hoped wrong and it didn't pay off where you said, oh, this person can save me. And then, you know, they don't or oh this person can heal me and then they kill you instead right these are the types of things that happen in co-op um but i think that kept it fresh yeah and the amount of times that we did more harm to each other than good was you know 
a pretty big percentage for a co-op game, I think. I would say about 50% of the time we would end up killing or damaging each other as opposed to helping the other one. But you know what? That's what made the game so much fun. It really <laughs> yeah, fun. put stress on our friendship. Frozen great. for the eighth time this fight. Uh, <laughs> no, you forget. Fane's decaying, but... Or, like... Fane is undead. Un if you heal an undead character, they take damage. And there have been times where I killed myself because I forgot that. And every time, it was extremely funny. <laughs> every single time. Um, so uh, yeah, generally speaking, go 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 play this game if you haven't yet. It's a blast. It's an incredible amount of fun. Um, again, if you know somebody who you can kind of consistently play it with, I do think it is a lot of fun co-op. We'll talk more about like where that works and falls apart later on. Um, but I do think that's interesting. You know, if you have a group of friends, you can try to play four-player co-op, but, like, the combat is a lot less interesting if you're taking one turn every four minutes or something like that. So, you know, keep that in yeah. mind. Um, but, yeah, I think with all of that, we can maybe jump into the very general story and then kind of talk about each of the acts a little bit and, and what worked and didn't work and some of the characters and then maybe uh, tackle some some general questions and then go from there. Sound good? Yeah. Works for me. All right. Um, let's start with a very general story overview for people who maybe haven't played it in a while, specifically because I think, you know, like I said, the Definitive Edition came out two years ago at this point, so I think a lot mm. of people probably haven't played it. Um, do you want to give a general story overview, or do you want me to do it? Well, I mean, I can start. Yeah, why don't you start? Why don't you give us a, a little idea of what happened here? Uh, okay, so you start off on a boat. You got a, you got this collar on you, and and it makes you stop casting this uh this universe's version of magic, which is called Source. And they think that uh every time you start tapping into the Source and start doing all this magicy shit, uh these voidlings, these these creatures from the void, start appearing and attacking and killing people. So there's this whole Inquisition that's out to stop that and to shackle all the sorcerers and bring them to this island. So you're on this boat, and uh, this Kraken shows up, beats up the ship, and you get washed ashore on Fort Joy, which is the island where they bring all of these shackled sorcerers. And through a series of events, you kind of you kind of figure out how to get the collar off. Uh, you're starting to like fight some magisters or some other stuff on the island, and you find out that they're kind of lobotomizing sorcerers mm -hmm. with with uh, not even lobotomizing. They're they're putting mind maggots into them to kind of. Well, yeah, to lobotomize them. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. So they're lobotomizing sorcerers and turning them into these silent monks, which are just, you know, soldiers. Like, just, just foot soldiers that mindlessly follow orders. Um, so you manage to escape all that and find a resistance. Uh, and you team up with that, re with that resistance to kind of take care of this guy. What's his name? Prince Alexander. Mm -hmm. uh, Who's the kind of the leader of the magisters at this point? And, and notedly, he is the son of the previous divine. You know, he was the son of God, essentially. Um, but God is presumed dead at this point. Yeah. So you fight him, you steal his boat, and beat the shit out yeah. of him. Yeah. Beat Take him. his lunch money, and you just <laughs> go on out of dodge. Um, you yeah. also find out in there. I guess we should mention before then. You do find out that you are what's called a god woken which essentially means that you and anyone in your party were chosen by the current, like, 
pantheon the yes, pantheon, pantheon of of, for each of the races the seven yes. races so you were you were chosen to essentially ascend um and have the chance to ascend and become the next divine where where lucian who was the former god has kind of left that seat open um so you are being groomed by your particular deity in order to take over that role yeah you want to take us through act two yeah so um and again super super general points here right so you've stolen this boat from from the magisters um, and you go to, uh, you know, essentially Act 2 is really just you, you know, it's it's the second act of the story, right? It's kind of the rising action. So it is you and your particular party um, embracing this idea that you are, you know, chosen ones. You are going to be trying to ascend to become a god. So you are trying to unlock your particular abilities. Um, again, mechanically, this happens throughout the game um, by you gaining these um, source points which you can use to cast your more powerful magic spells so you kind of get the ability to do more of that or cast more powerful spells you learn um, about this this source which is kind of like in living things this this you know part of magic that you can draw from that is ostensibly bringing these void creatures around um, so you you find a way to talk to dead people find a way to steal that source from living or dead things in order to kind of replenish your magics um, and most of Act 2 is you running around to various, you know, powerful sorcerers and learning, you know, doing a quest for them and then learning from them in order to become a little bit stronger, internalize that magic, and then, you know. Yeah, Act 2 is just a big old training montage, really. It really, but it's so long. It's like, it's, I think it's, personally, I do think Act 2 is the best part of the game. Um, but it's yeah. like this huge huge open area that's just filled to the brim with quests with it all of them are just directing you towards this ability to get stronger or um and we haven't talked about these because they're kind of you know they run parallel to the the actual main storyline each of the named companions that you have or have chosen to play as have their own quest lines which are like a major quest that span throughout each of the areas of the game and this is the development of a lot of those quest lines kind of happens in this this act two area um eventually all of this leads towards you becoming more powerful and then taking your your ship um, manned by, you know, the, the kind of crew that you have that knows a little bit more about your fate and your destiny just trying to help you there. Um, you, you take it to this island to try and become, you know, this is like the island where they choose who is going to be the next divine, the next god, and and you're going there to try and take up that mantle because throughout the visions you've gotten throughout the interactions you've had with your deities you like the current pantheon of gods is being killed by this you know whatever is happening with this source and they are trying to kill the god so you are you know finally going to where you would ascend to godhood which would be you know act two and a half yeah. or three depending on how you choose I usually to, to call it like up. two and a half uh, yeah so i like don't think it's a full act and i think the game works better as a three act thing than a four act thing so yeah it, I mean, you do spend about what, like ten hours here, right? In Act um, two and a half, two and a half, yeah, yeah, about ten so, hours if you do all of it. Yeah, probably around there, maybe Hardly. a little less. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to take us through kind of what happens there, which is one of the more complicated ones? Oh, uh, this is this is yeah, kind of, again. This is there's a lot that goes on, so it's really hard to sum it all up quickly. Um, but yeah, we're gonna no, do our best. This is why Alex brought me in. You know, do the heavy lifting. That is true. That is what I said at the top. So prove that I wasn't wrong. Uh, so you want to take this one? Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can. No, it's no, no. Still no. part of Act Two, technically. Um. So what happens here is you. 
there's all these temples devoted to all the gods, and you have to find out if they're aligned with the sun or the moon, which is some kind of hand-wavy bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go through, and you, f- you figure out all these puzzles, and you do find some, like, interesting stuff along the way. There's a temple to the orc gods. There's a temple within, uh, like, uh, like hammer space within a gem mm-hmm. uh, for the imps, which is, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, all, everything that happens here is extremely cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a couple... There's a there's a few uh, story beats for some of the main characters, like uh, Sabeel and the Red Prince. I think each have something here. Yeah. Um. Well, and actually, uh, Ivan. But anyway, so you go through and you reach the, like the hidden temple for ascension, and you go through some trials, and eventually it comes down to this race to reach this well of source, this like big infinite well where you're supposed to suck it up and reach divinity because there's just this ocean of magic that you can absorb mm-hmm. all at once so it comes down to this race between you and prince alexander who you didn't actually kill so that's cool and you can convince him to be on your side and give you buffs and stuff you little <laughs> bitch um and you run ah, yes. down the heavy lifting <laughs> <laughs> actually you didn't kill him because he's a bitch anyway so <laughs> No, you can convince him to give up on his life dreams, which is really mean, but we did it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's mean, but it's like, it's not mean, right? He's trying to become a god, and you convince him not to become a god because he thinks he's, you think he would be bad at that job, which is correct. If I could convince Mitch McConnell to give up on his life dreams, I would do that in a heartbeat, okay? (laughs) Exact same energy. (laughs) Exact same energy, yeah. Uh... (laughs) Sorry, I gotta recover from that one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going there today. Well, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. What I'm gonna do is race you for divinity, because at this point it's like all all like everyone's on their own. So they're running for this well and you get to it and you get um uh stopped by this big bad lady who we didn't actually describe yet, and she's a pretty pivotal uh enemy throughout all this. Yeah, uh, that's Dallas, classic stuff from player one fashion. Yeah, you know, you know, we're we're filling in the gaps as we go. Uh, heavy lifting, and she <laughs> she's already there, and is like, no, fuck you, and swings her hammer at the ground or anathema or one of one of the like four named swords in this game, and breaks it and stops you from taking it all in. At which point, the gods inside you are like, yo, what the fuck? We were <laughs> hey, this sucks. You you made us a promise to to get big and beefy so that we could take over so they jump out of you and you have to fight your god and kill them which is admittedly a pretty cool story beat it's extremely metal um i i think that's like that's one of the through lines that starts to become apparent late in act two and throughout all of act two and a half is like maybe you don't trust gods they're almost exclusively in it for themselves yeah, um, you also get the power, right? Yeah. yeah, you also in the like the school where they would raise new divines. You also find uh, evidence that Lucian, the former divine, essentially killed all of the students who were trying to uh, become god. Ones. I say essentially, it literally he just killed them all. <laughs> There's no essential yeah. about it. He pulled an Anakin. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. Where's the lie? Was that a... Where I know that's what he did. <laughs> um. Yeah. And so. Uh, Malady, who is an who is like this half demon who's on your side, she she pulls a fast one and brings the ship into the underworld, I think, the Hall mm. of Echoes, mm. and saves your asses again. Yeah, um, 
coming out the other side of that on Act 3, which is what we're choosing to call it, um, that ship is brought in, back into, you know, manifestation of the real world, crashes at um, right outside the city of Arcs, which is where the entirety of Act 3 takes place. Um, and Act 3 is really interesting because there's less of a defined through line. It is not, hey, go here and then do this, and then they'll give you a quest to go here. It's a lot of disconnected quests that kind of lead and point to each other. So, you know, essentially the entirety of you doing this this Act 3 is trying to finally unpiece or unravel the mystery and put these pieces together of what's been going on with these divines and this war between the gods and everything like that. Um, so you... You land. I, I don't know if the wind is coming through. The wind is blowing real far outside. So if it is, I apologize about that. It's about to storm here. Um, so you you go through the city and kind of talk to people, the magisters who were previously the people that were trying to stop the source from, you know, stop anything from happening. Um, fought a fight, lost to the paladins who are now holding on to the city. And you go through, again, do. This is the conclusion of all of the side character storylines for the most part, which are all extremely cool. We'll talk about this later. Um, but essentially you find... Um, you find a mage named Aru, who was critical in the first game, who was the keeper of the tomb of the divine, which is where they ostensibly keep um, Lucian's buried body. Again, Lucian being the previous divine. You find a way in there uh, where when you finally get there, it is revealed that Lucian, the former divine, is not actually dead. Uh, he was just, you know, locked himself away and pretended to be dead uh, and instead is working with For Dallas. tax reasons. Yes. Um <laughs> Text. God damn it. It's just what you had said there. Um, <laughs> uh, you find out that he has been working with Dallas uh, and in order to, you know, trick the world to think he's dead. She has chained, um, again, another character from Divinity Original Sin 1 who was brought back to life, Brockus Rex, who is kind of like the, the king of source. Um, and they were, you know, draining Lucian of all of his source and were planning to use it to kind of close this... Um, curtain this barrier between the void you know and and the source and everything and your world which is essentially stop the war with the void woken but prevent anybody from becoming an actual divine in his stead and then he would just live out his life as a lie telling people he was still the divine and kind of trying to bring about um a degree of safety to everybody kind of bring the world into uh, essentially a new world order you know kill gods dethrone god uh and then you know, keep everybody safe. This plan goes horribly awry when you get there for a number of different reasons. Um, but one of those reasons is that the person that they, the Brockus Rex person that they had thought they had control over, turns out surprisingly, or surprising nobody, they did not have control over him. Uh, and then he summons a bunch of previous enemies that you had fought and you go into a weird void space. And it it's all extremely cool and doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, and you have yeah. a, a really climactic, awesome fight leading to you um, essentially killing everybody, including the you know Lucian, the former Divine, and the people who are challenging him, and then you are left with um, a choice at the end of the game in terms of whether you want to essentially choose one of your characters to become God, um, choose to follow through with the plan that Lucian had started to kind of close the curtain between the worlds and you know take Source out of the world and keep everybody safe, or if you wanted to basically take all of the source that was drained and distributed across the world, essentially making everybody kind of gods, but nullifying the idea of there being gods. Um, and then based on which of those choices you choose, you get one of a different variation of endings. We actually only, I think, saw one ending. I don't know if you looked the other ones up on YouTube ever. I didn't. Did you? No. 
I probably should have. It would have been smart. would have been good podcast prep, but I didn't do it. Um, wow, yeah. I wish we had thought of that. Even I though. wish we were good at this, but what are you going to do? Duncan's not here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the only one we did was allowing one of our characters to kind of become God, and in that ending... You, you know, that character ascends to godhood, people begin to worship that character, uh, and then they kind of take over that role. Um, but the, the inevitable war that was threatening to destroy your world isn't stopped. It just continues with you at the helm of it now, kind of helping to turn the tides because you are, again, god. So um, that's the very <laughs> brief, super brief. Super uh, brief. Only took like 20 minutes. I mean, it took like 10 or 15. It's hard to say. Super brief uh, highlight of the, the general story. Um, again, in there, we didn't talk about any of the like minor story beats. We didn't talk about any of the side characters. We didn't talk about any of like the different ways things can play out. Um but the, we didn't talk about any of that. It still took us that long to get through it. Like it's a big yeah, fucking game. It's a big game. game. We didn't big... even we didn't even talk about the fact that you can talk to animals and that all of them are hilarious. Every single animal in this game is the best character in the game. I will not hear arguments otherwise. Thank you. Um, yeah. So just let's yeah let's let's stick on just talking about these general story beats before we talk about the the awesome characters, the awesome side things. How did how did this story as a whole work from you beginning to end? Oh man. Well, first of all, it's a big question. You well, yeah. Um, first of all, I think because of the nature of co-op, um, you're only getting, I don't know, seventy-five percent of the dialogue at any time. Yeah, we should uh, touch on that. Um, the way that co-op works in this game and combat makes a ton of sense because it's turn-based. But not in combat, you don't have to be next to the co-op person. So you can be doing two totally separate dialogue trees for two totally separate quests at the exact same time. And we would do that a lot. And then it would just be a lot of, hey, who are you talking to? Huh? Yep. What do they have to say? <laughs> Weird. Yeah, right. yeah, I got it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you do. This guy says we should kill God. Oh, yeah. This guy <laughs> says we should stop him from being a cow. <laughs> huh? Interesting. Let's do both. <laughs> and so we did <laughs> um, so that is true you know you can listen in you know you can have one person do the dialogue and the other person listen in but i think both of us did miss a significant amount of like smaller side stuff yeah but i mean overall i i, I would say that i like the story um it, throughout the game though there were plenty of times like even up until like act three i was like what the fuck is going on like, i do remember you literally asking me that exact question at one point yes. towards the end of the game being like what are we fucking doing what are we doing here like it's 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 a complex storyline they they've got their own universe that they set very heavily with their own lore right um mm -hmm. and it can be a lot to keep up with um but i mean generally i liked i liked the story you kill god twice um <laughs> whoever you define as god at this point right yeah because there's lots of them um you're killing it you're just you know dropping gods left and right mm -hmm. uh and you get the the end and you get this satisfying well like mass effect ending like which one's the right one do we give them all guns maybe we give them all guns i don't know uh seems like a pretty good way to you know it works for texas it works for <laughs> texas gonna say the only thing that can stop a bad god is a good guy who's also a god <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> we 
weirdly enough, we didn't choose that option. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, go figure. Um, but yeah, I, there's a lot of replayability to it in the sense that there's a lot more story to unearth with each of the characters and yeah, a lot those of are different huge. choices to make. Like the, yeah. the, the side character storylines are, I think, oftentimes better than the main storyline by a, a significant margin. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I liked the main story. It didn't. I wouldn't say it like blew me away. I wasn't a huge fan of how like the big bad at the end ended up being the big bad from the first game. Um, but, okay, also, I, I guess minor spoilers for Divinity Originals in one. Like the big bad didn't end up being the big bad from the first game. It ended up being the big bad from Act One of the first game, who you uh, kill in Act One but, of the first game. Man, there's just so much I can't keep it straight. Yeah. Um, are you sure? Wait, what happened at the end? <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> no, never mind. So, Fuck it. <laughs> we don't need to go into okay. this. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I think you kind of hit on a lot of my issues with it, which is that um, it is a little maybe too convoluted, especially playing co-op. I, I would be very curious what this experience was like if we didn't play a co-op at all. Um, but I, I think it can get kind of confusing. You do sort of lose the threads at some point and feel like you're just being propelled forward by virtue of quest lines and exploration, but you don't necessarily know what you're looking for, right? Like, you know, Act 1 has a clear goal, and then Act 2 has, like, kind of a clear goal, and then Act 2 and a half, you're like, okay, like, I, I did my goals, but I don't really know why I was doing them. And then, yeah. like, you know... I, some of the bigger moments don't really feel like they're necessarily given the room to breathe that they should be, right? Like, Act 1, you're introduced to the idea of being a godwoken. Act 2 has a ton of instances of you directly interacting with your gods. And then in Act 2 and a half, you kill, the, you kill those gods. And it's kind of just like, oh, yeah, we did that thing. We killed the gods. Haha, weird. And then you move on. But it yeah. feels like that should have had way more weight to it than it actually did. Yeah, I mean, it was a cool fight. It was a hard fight. Yeah, it, it was us, awesome. You know, there was lava flowing down, uh, which is always a fun environmental effect to deal with. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, at the end of it, it was just like another of the difficult boss fights. And all the fights are so unique in this, right? There's yes. tons of like little bosses. So I don't think it had a way to really differentiate itself from the other ones. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um. Yeah, I will say I was I was definitely bought into the the overall threads of the story when I finally started to understand them. Um, yeah, I think that takes a little while. I think especially um, Act Act Three and Act One, just kind of the nature of of how those stories are presented and how the objectives are presented to you, makes it so that it it takes a little bit longer to fully understand what the crux of that act is going to be. Um, yeah, but I think the, you know, the kind of about face at the end where it's like, Hey, this thing that you were taking for granted, because it's one of the first things you heard in the entire game that this, this, you know, the God is dead is actually not true. It's like a really cool, you know, obviously like a really cool turn on its face. And it's like really interesting to then, you know, get into a fight with that character and to have mm -hmm. this. And again, like the, you know, the actual ending fight is one of the coolest fights in the entire game, but it is sort of them being like, Hey, I don't know, this guy's a bad guy, uh, surprise, and here's all of the bad guys that were cool from earlier, now they're all on the map too, so get fucked and have a fun yeah. time, and it's like, okay, yeah. this is cool, I'm extremely here for it, but 
it only feels climactic because of like the level of energy going into it because of like the stakes that feel on but it doesn't feel climactic like oh this is you know the confrontation we've been working towards this whole time because yeah it's it's just like one big ham-fisted reveal yeah um yeah which is you know not ham-fisted i mean you know i think the the cathedral of blood uh you know that that takes a a couple hours and you know that entire time you know he's alive and just getting to him like after you free are he tells you right um so it's all it's all very cool um and it it is such an enormous step forward from divinity original sin one in terms of storytelling uh that i'm you know very hopeful that the next thing they're working on which is Baldur's gate three they can kind of continue to take that and be like okay here's more cool ideas we'll make them a little more a little more streamlined a little more focused right because i and again i think part of the reason that i think the 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 companion characters like overall story arcs tended to be better than the main story was because they were like focused and clear and it was always obvious what the next thing was it was always obvious what you were trying to do it it had clear emotional stakes for everyone involved every time um so i think that like kind of made it a step above the main story for me but overall yeah i mean i don't want to like shit on the story it was still very cool i'm all for a story where the crux is become god no way kill god no way yeah still become god yeah absolutely Uh, lots of god killing lots of god killing you do an obscene amount of god killing in this game Uh, i I think the (laughs) other thing i want to mention about the story is you know divinity is built to be one of those games where you can you know ostensibly kill pretty much any npc you come into contact with if you want um not any there's like a couple that you can't but you know i think should they we do a genocide run <laughs> not doing it hold on no run. should we no oh, what if we you think we could kill malady like right out the gate um oh, then what would Mal- happen i don't know if malady's one of the ones you can kill or not um maybe she doesn't have infinite now that's true. It's probably possible. I don't know. I, I would be very curious to see. Um, they, they skirt around that having serious implications by letting you talk to dead people a lot of the time. Um, you know, in our most recent run, we killed the person who's like, let me show you how to become a sorcerer. I will be your teacher. I will lead you through the rest of Act 2 now that you are 45 minutes into it. And then Michael here tried to steal something from her fucked up and she started attacking us and we murdered her. And we're like, well, well rough on that to be one. Fair, <laughs> to be fair, she had a lot of good shit in her pockets. I know, and you stole you know, from if everybody. If you don't want to die, don't have nice things. Like, that's honestly that's the that's moral the of Divinity 2. for the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I can eat the rich. <laughs> um, but that didn't like that was a moment where we were like, "Oh, this is huge! Like this is going to alter the story." But then you just kind of like talk to her ghost, and she's like, "Ah, it sucks that you killed me." Anyway, here's the quest still. Um, yeah. So they they do kind of skirt around that. So I, my assumption is if we if we did what you suggested and tried to do a divinity original sin two genocide run. It probably wouldn't end up feeling too too terribly different from the original one, other than we would just have more combat instances. But, but Alex, you can eat the ghosts. We now gotta that's do a true. true now that is genocide true. Run. <laughs> that is true, huh? But, you know, yeah. put it on the put it on the list. Put it right next to the Avatar: The Last Airbender Four Wizard Run we were gonna do. And yeah. one of these times, we'll uh, we'll get back to this game. 
Yeah. For reference, uh, when we tried to get back into the game after our crushing defeat at the hands of uh, Corrupted Saves, uh, we tried to start the game in ways that would make it more silly and fun for us because going through Fort Joy and doing those 20 hours again and again and again was getting a little old um so we tried we we tried a few different things right we tried to do the avatar run where we had uh four wizards doing each of the four elements that you can play uh what did we do we went into the workshop because they have custom classes Mm -hmm. that people make we tried to do that which admittedly pretty fucking cool um yeah tried a couple of times just mixing up the the companion characters we took um i think kind of at the end of the day is just like ah yeah but we want to do it with the ones that we like the most um so that's yeah you know ended up Ooh. restarting a couple of times from that um, you want to do a companion tier list um S- we, we should and b tiers we should talk about the companions so i think this is a good way to introduce them so let's do uh, a quick run through of all the companions um and i'm gonna do it because i want it to be super quick and i don't want to be like flipping back and forth so you have um ifen who is kind of a mercenary for hire who has the best voice actor in the game so that's kind of his whole deal. Uh, you have Fane, who is an undead skeleton person who was is kind of sassy. Dis- extremely sassy and is descendant from a race of previously immortal people who used to inhabit this earth. You have the Red Prince, who is a, an entitled Jagoff, who is racist and was a slave owner and is just such an insufferable piece of shit that I love him because of how fucking insufferable he is. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Sabeel, who is kind of a an elf assassin who was previously enslaved by the lizard folk from the Red Prince's kingdom. So there's a lot of interaction between the two of them. Uh, and then and you, you got have, my boy Beast. You got Beast, who is a rain. I mean, he's built as you know traditionally a ranger. He is a dwarf who is kind of like a, a revolutionist exile from his country, where his queen, who is his cousin sister blood relation uh, in some way i thought is it his cousin i don't remember yeah, it's i thought his it was, cousin yeah it's, it's, it's a blood cousin. relation of his um his queen has kind of started to go off of the deep end so he's kind of like a you know a, a hero to the common folk and has been kicked out and is trying to figure out what she is up to uh and then last but not least you have losa who is a like kind of barred mage who has essentially a, a demon in her head who can occasionally take over and and speak with her and you know her whole thing is trying to figure out what that is about, and get that removed. Um, so let's just do a quick tier list. There's six of them. Let's see where they all land. All right. Uh, S tier is Losa. S tier, like, I think... Sure. I Losa is definitely S tier. No question okay, about good. it. Is Fane yeah. S tier? I think so. Really? I would say Fane is A tier. I love him, but I would still say he's A tier. Hmm. He's got this... The sassiest dialogue, though. He does have the... You know... Hmm. he's Everything about Fane is as good as Losa, except for his actual quest. He does have, in my opinion, the best skill in the game. Two best skills in the game. Which, his, his source ability is he just gives another player an extra turn, just this which time warp, right? The best skill in the game in terms of mechanically giving you the biggest advantage. Yeah, and then there's the other one, which, you know, in times of dire need, in times of trouble, when when things are looking at their worst, Alex is down, you know, we've got two players down, another person's bleeding out, and you really just need to save the day, you start charging up the spell, and you play dead. (laughs) 
best way to save the day. You just play dead. Characters you're, don't even know you're yep, there. You're a skeleton you already, kinda... so you just look like a skeleton on the ground. Yeah, so you're just like, well, I'll just uh, I'll just wait for this all to blow over. Mechanically, it is actually an incredibly powerful skill, but also it's just the best thing in the world to hear Michael yell, don't worry, I've got this, and then his character just falls and crumples to the ground. <laughs> uh, it's it's a blast. I, I would sold. I would put Loza and Fane in S tier. Um, all right. I would put in A tier. I would definitely put the Red Prince because of how fucking insufferable he is. I love the Red Prince so much. Yeah. That's me personally. Um, and I probably wouldn't put anybody else in A tier. Yeah, I would say Ifen and Sabeel are probably in the B tier. Just because they're not... I don't know. I don't think their stories were super interesting. I or kind funny. of... So... Full disclosure, I did not finish either Iphan or Sabeel's story. I know very little of Sabeel's. We made it to Act 3, or Act 4, technically, with Iphan in our original playthrough, but I didn't see the conclusion of his story. Um, mm-hmm. Sabeel, I really, I know very, very little about her story, so I'm kind of talking out my ass when I when I talk about her. That's fair, but she was always too, you know, just like, She's too uh, fucking I'm, edgy. I'm a, you're way too edgy, man. Three edgy, five me. Like, just, uh, <laughs> you meet her and she like puts a knife to your throat and she's like, one step closer and I'll gut you. Like, yeah, she's, all right, man, just chill out. We're all she's we're all that assassin, here. and it's like, okay, we get it. And I mean, again, maybe her story is cool. Maybe her character gets fleshed out more. I don't know that for sure. You know, again, you know, being an escaped slave is you know kind of interesting. I think she was escaped. I don't think she was freed. I don't really remember. Um, she had the mark on her yes. on her cheek. Um, yeah. so. But again, yeah, like it's just it was too it was too much in terms of all of the other kind of unique takes on a lot of characters. I just didn't think she stood out much at all. Yeah, and same thing with Ivan. Great voice actor, but you know, mercenary for hire, trying to kill the God Woken. I didn't think was as cool as like I'm the prince of a foreign kingdom and I'm gonna fuck a bitch until we get dragons. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna right goof thing. up some dragons in this lady. <laughs> <laughs> great story honestly oh what right. a... <laughs> uh, and then beast is i i liked beast as a character a lot I, his story i kind of didn't give a shit about yeah like, I, I, mean, I really I, think they did him dirty comparatively i don't know i mean it's kind of cool because his he, he like it's smugglers and terrorism and 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 super weapons you know the death fog that can just you know, wipe out an entire city of people, you know, uh, but it it didn't really have the punch, you know? Yeah, and I know um one of the things that they kind of tweaked between the original release and the definitive edition release, like a year and change later, or a little under a year later, was they did um make the ending to Beast's story a little bit better, apparently. I guess people were saying that they found the fourth act pretty bad for his story um yeah i don't know what the original ending was but i will say we did the definitive edition and i found the fourth act to a story not great <laughs> it's kind of yeah. again it wasn't bad like i don't think i think very few things in this game are bad yes um, but uh, it's like against the backdrop of these other really cool like over the top or deeply personal stories his mm-hmm. just kind of felt uh, not generic but it you know it just didn't land with me for whatever reason. I, I, you know, maybe there's something there to be said about me. Maybe there's more that I could kind of peel apart. But no, I, I didn't. I, I, I didn't really love do it. think it's it, it's a, comparing it to the high points in 
in the game because we can talk about Losa's story, which is probably the you know the coolest. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think For it's sure. the coolest. For sure, Beast's story does the same issue that I have with the main story, also, which is like you're chasing, you're chasing, you're chasing. You finally have a big confrontation with the big bad of his story, and it turns out that actually this person wasn't that bad, and it was their advisor that was really doing it the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Fine. All right. Whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but I think it's pretty clear um, Losa is absolutely the best companion in the game. Ah, uh, yeah. For sure. She's so funny. Like, she's she's a bard. She's got the jester tag. Like, all of her bits are just spot on. Her uh, voice actress is fantastic. Um, so Losa's story is that she's she's got a demon in her head, right? She's essentially... Not possessed, but she's got someone living uh, living up in the attic. Living uh, rent-free in her head, you know? Yeah, bullshit. Uh, and you are tasked with trying to find out, uh, like, if you can get it under control. You learned the name of it. And then eventually you track down where it is in the third act, in the last act. Uh, and you go, and you have... Um, you can go into its hammer space, you know, where it draws its power from. And the whole bit with this demon is that every soul that it takes from a person increases its power. And when you're in this hammer space, when you're in its realm, uh, each individual soul is represented by a candle that's burning, right? And um, you you go up and you're kind of working your way through it and you, you come upon your first candle and you're like, well... Uh, here's this person's life, here's what they did, it was an innocent person, you know, and to extinguish it, yeah, sure, it would diminish its power, but, you know, what about the soul that's trapped in, and you have this whole uh, decision to make, this big, heavy decision, and, you know, you, you either choose to snuff out the candle or leave it and move on, and then you get another candle along the path, and it's the same thing, this backstory about, I think, like, a woman and her daughter, there's, like, two candles, or uh, maybe a man and a woman, um, and you're like, these were people. You have this decision. And then you open up these big oaken double doors, and it's an entire cavern filled with candles. Like, and it hit so perfect for me because it's just this massive backdrop. Thousands, maybe like a million of these candles, right? Mm-hmm. To illustrate just how powerful this demon is and how little each soul really kind of, like how much... Are you going to have to take away uh, in order to diminish this thing's power? And uh, the companion with humanity, she's like, you just say the word and I'll summon a tsunami and we'll, we'll just wipe them all out. Um, and if you don't do that, you have to go through with a fight that is... I think we had more trouble with this fight than <laughs> than the last fight with oh, Revolution. Yeah, it, without a doubt, the um, unweakened version of this demon fight is, is the hardest fight in the game, I think. Yeah, and we were playing on, I think, the second hardest difficulty. We were playing on the mode that wasn't permadeath because, oh, God, no, God, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, thank you on that one. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, she's the shit out of that. It, it absolutely, it was the, one of the coolest moments in the entire game, the walking into that room and just seeing the ocean of candles in front of you and the, the summation of all the life that this demon had come to, to control and all the people whose souls it was containing and, and the, you know, I mean, the game doesn't like mince words about it, right? Like your options to say we shouldn't do this are literally like, hey, 
I don't want to commit a genocide. That's not okay for me to do this. And I think the majority of people probably fell into that camp. Um, but, you know, there are, and I think this is really cool, there are, like, significant mechanical implications to not doing that, right? Like, a lot of yeah. games will do this thing where they present you with this choice, and it's like, oh, here's this this big moral quandary. And if you choose the option that is morally righteous, people will say you fucked yourself. But really, you absolutely didn't. Nothing changed. But for us, it was like after attempting the fight with that demon unweakened six or seven times, genuinely thought, wow, we fucked ourselves. We're not going to be able to beat this fucking fight yep. because we didn't commit a genocide. Um, yep. Because it's like, it is mechanically a very, very difficult fight. And you are, you know, if you use that character, right? Like the the kind of crux of that uh, implementation of, of that fight, you know, you go to the, this like creepy doctor throughout the town who's been helping people. And like significant air quotes, I recognize you can't see me and I didn't put sarcasm on it, but helping people in air quotes. Um, and you, you know, it turns out he is, you know, essentially the demon in Lois's head and that fight starts and, you know, he's an incredibly tanky and powerful enemy and, you know, he starts channeling and after three turns, if you haven't interrupted him or killed him, he will take over Losa. But I don't mean that in like, oh, he charms Losa because that's an ability that exists in this game. You just lose her from the party permanently, and he yeah, becomes invulnerable. Gone. So like after that point, you can't win the fight anymore. It's like that the fight is just over. Yeah, um, and you're a person down. Yes. So you have to, you know, either be incredibly strong or, you know, find some items to cheese it or 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 what have you. But all of that aside, it's just like it was one of the few times where I have felt like maybe we fucked up even though we did the morally correct thing because like genuinely I don't know if we will be able to see the conclusion of this storyline before we refuse to do that we might need to load from hours back and do this fight and again we didn't because we found a way to cheese it we found you know some items that made the fight significantly easier but it was it was a very cool moment and then a very cool expansion of that moment the more and more frustrated we got and the more and more desperate we got with our tactics in order to try and beat that fight. And I really yeah. appreciate that they, you know, went through the trouble of, of doing that. I don't know if it hits the same way on an easier difficulty, but it, it was a, a very, very, very cool follow through on, on the harder difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. So S tier. Yeah. For, a litany of reasons um again a lot of the other stories are really cool really interesting if we just kind of recapped all of them we would be here for a long time <laughs> i don't yeah. think it would be very interesting so i don't want to do that um i will just say um very cool throughout a little bit uneven i think in terms of like Fane's story was really cool but just sort of i didn't really understand that it was over when it was over um yeah Fane's story i mean in in act three Every character, well, actually, I don't know about Sabiel and Ifen, but uh, every character that we had except Fane had a part to wrap up. They had like um, a literal quest in the journal that said, do this, you know? Yeah, and I think at the end of Act 2 and a half, you kind of learn everything about Fane. And actually, at the end of Act 3, like the very last boss fight, you learn some stuff about Fane, yeah. which is cool. Didn't see any of it coming. No, uh, and I think that's kind of why he doesn't have that thing is because it's like, hey his story is intrinsically tied with the actual completion of the main story, right? Because his, you know, long extinct ancient people who were, you know, essentially immoral are tied to this, this void that is coming to try and, you know, eat the world essentially so that his people can take it back over. 
Um, yeah. So it's like a really cool tie-in, but it, it just it feels less distinct than the rest of the stories. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. It just means it felt a little uneven because, you know, you get like his big climactic thing in Act 2, and you just kind of don't get anything with him until the end of the game again. All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the the way that the game implements the you know RPG mechanics, the dialogue mechanics, the conversation mechanics, and and kind of how that fleshes out the characters and and draws you in or 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 doesn't draw you in in, in the actual role playing element of this game. Oh, I don't have anything to say on that. God damn it. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, scream. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, the, the, the way um, I got you. Um, so the way the way uh, some of the role playing and some of the uh, there in the conversations, some of the uh, options are kind of skill locked. Uh, you need to have a person who has a persuasion skill. Um. And that can be a little hampering sometimes, but just in co-op, because Alex had the silver tongue on mm. the Red Prince. Uh, so I would often say, like, well, you go talk to him, and I'll just listen in. And, you know, that that works well enough, but sometimes uh, conversation will just start just by proximity of being to a person. And if that hit Beast or Fane, the two characters I was controlling, it was like, oh, well... Uh, we screwed the pooch on this. Uh, like it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, should and, we reload or like yeah? And and on top of that, like you know, like you said, you have that persuasion stat. Most of the instances where you would then have to persuade someone in conversation, you were given persuasions based on a particular stat modifier. So like strength persuasion versus intelligence persuasion versus you know dexterity persuasion. Um, and you know they would all essentially play out differently, but it didn't really feel like it mattered it was always just like do the persuasion element uh, right and yeah. um although that was helpful because my, you know the character i was playing had a very high persuasion stat so it's just like okay if this comes up i will pass it 100 percent of the time because that stat is maxed out so it doesn't matter it did it kind of like it it, it made the conversations feel less dynamic in a way because mm-hmm. it was not like yeah. oh do you do this cool thing it was just like oh do you have this one stat, right? Even in like a D and D sense, it's like, oh, hey, I want to try to do this different type of persuasion. Like, am I really good at lying or intimidating to people? Versus, am I really good at talking my way out of it? That was not really like that. That distinction didn't exist in this game because it was just, do you have the talk stat? Essentially, yeah. Um, did you pump points into it, or did you put all your points into? Yeah. So you know where I would have the Red Prince, who was you know this like two-handed fighter he could essentially still pass you know persuasion checks no matter what came up and again there's modifiers to it for the specific thing so i would usually i would choose the one that made sense but then on the flip side you were playing beast who you had built as like this rogue with an incredible stealth stat and like really high dexterity score and if a dexterity persuasion roll came up you still couldn't do it because you just didn't have the persuasion stat and that yeah feels weird right it 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 feels like that talk stat ends up dictating who has to be doing everything and it feels like the dictation then is you will talk you won't get to do anything cool and you know you could do other cool stuff with the stealth stat obviously but yeah uh you know on on the one end if you were talking to someone i'd be like okay hold hold still don't don't end the conversation i gotta pick this guy's pockets yeah and uh <laughs> you know that was always fun because 50 percent of the time they would immediately 
go like, what? I've been robbed. And I would have been halfway across the continent, leaving Alex to have to bribe the person, which is just mm, good mm-hmm. gameplay. A hundred percent of the time, I would either bribe them or call them racist. And it usually worked. Um, yeah. So it works I, like that in real life, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while I think it was cool to like, I, I obviously I always enjoy having the ability to like talk your way out of situations and and become like silver tongued in games right if i'm doing like a if i'm playing fallout face yeah i'm always gonna i'm always gonna put stats into that skill because i think it's interesting and it usually buys you like cool story beats um yeah you know and, and we'll talk a little bit about this at the end but we're also like playing through the early access of Baldur's gate 3 right now and i didn't appreciate how much i liked having those checks separated into different stats that made sense for the way you were building the character so yeah, that you like could deception have... or intimidation yeah. or persuasion right mm-hmm. three or... very clear differences yeah and and having so many things on on top of that just having so many things that are kind of like parsed out into non like uh i i don't know what you would even classify that as like non-persuasion based stats like oh yes this is like this is a check that will not be based on your persuasion. It will be based on your knowledge of this specific field, which is a different skill entirely. Like, how high is your knowledge of arcana? That's going to impact whether or not you can do this, not intelligence persuasion, because it's not a persuasive ability, right? It's, it's a, hey, do you have this knowledge? And there was not a lot of that throughout Divinity Original Sin 2, right? All of, most yeah. all of those checks were tied to one stat, which did make the, the... The other thing about that, too, is that, that in Divinity Original Sin 2, the persuasion chat or uh, chance is it, it's a flat check. It's yes. either you have the skill or you don't. At least in Baldur's Gate three or other games where it's a percentile chance, a person who's untrained in it still has a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you just don't put points into persuasion, you just don't get anything in Divinity Original Sin two. Yeah, which you know is a bit prohibitive, right? Yeah, and it, it it can be, which is again why I'm very excited to see what what they continue to do when they expand on this because I think that the the basis was there, like they had a lot of really cool ideas there. They just kind of essentially wrote themselves into a corner with the way that they wanted you to be able to handle things with the the locked stat block that they have, and I mean it also makes sense because you have fewer skill points to allocate to things, right? So every time I put a point into the persuasion skill, I was explicitly not putting a point into something that could help me in a more combat-focused sense, which is the way that it usually goes in, in games like, you know, D&D. Uh, but the the combat is so integral and so much fun in this game that I always wanted to put more points into combat skills because although, I, again, writing was cool, writing was good, it had these issues, and also you weren't seeing all of it because we were doing co-op, but the combat is just, it's sublime it's so much fun it's like a puzzle within of itself so i didn't want to put effort into getting a higher you know persuasion skill or a higher barter skill yeah i didn't like those non-combat skills just weren't as interesting to me um so it would have been difficult if there if i had to choose like which one of these roads to go down was the the general point i was trying to make um yeah and you know we can talk about Baldur's gate later but in a D&D sense, charisma, if you're making a face, that can be a combat stat for some characters, right? Yeah. For, like, sorcerers and warlocks, that determines how much damage they do, but it also is great for face abilities. So Yeah. And you don't I, get that tie-in in Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah. And, and something, this is not specifically Divinity-related, but 
um, something that now that we're kind of talking about this and, and, and pulling it apart and thinking about it really critically, right? Because I, I feel like a lot of what we have said has been semi-critical of this game because it's, you know, easier to, it's more easier to be more interesting when you're talking about things critically as opposed to just lavishing effusive praise on them, uh, which is mm-hmm. something that we've been guilty of doing a lot in the past. And now for the effusive praise <laughs> segment of Divinity Original Sin 2. It's very good. Go play it. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting is how much differently I feel about this this conversation and dialogue system now that I have, A, a little distance from it so I can like think about it more clearly, and B, you know, uh, to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, I've been playing a lot of Disco Elysium in the last, like, couple of weeks, and I think the, you know, that game is just the conversation system, right? Like, there are not other mechanics going on in that mm-hmm. game. So, like, it makes sense that it would be much more intricate and it makes sense that, in, you know, something that would be one skill in Divinity is split up into six different skills in that game that you have to kind of choose. But it really does influence, like, my opinion to look at, like, oh... This is like what a conversational system could be versus this is what you get when it is a portion of a game, which is not to say that they did the wrong thing with Divinity, right? Because like that's a it's a different fucking game. Dude, if it if it was if it was any more intricate on the uh on the conversation part, man, I don't know if we could have gotten through that. Yeah. It's it it would be extremely difficult. But it does like having that contrast in my head really brings into focus the things about this that felt one note compared to when I was going through them and they felt less one note, right? Um, and a lot yeah. of that was probably just because of like, oh, get my dude up front and then we can do the fun part, which is buffing everybody and stealing things and fucking around with the battlefield before the fight actually starts, even though yep. it makes no goddamn sense when a person's like, halt, stop right there, and it begins the conversation and then the other three characters walk right past you and line up weapons drawn I'm an inch behind you, the Red other Prince. person. Yeah. You can't pass this line, but I'll deal with you one at a time. <laughs> but your friends can. Why do they keep turning your skin to stone and making your sword on fire? Probably no reason. <laughs> uh, but yeah. It's I, like the time we... Oh, go on. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I think that's like... I always think it's kind of interesting to do a little self-reflection and see, like, why things feel the way they do post the fact. And I think a lot of it happens to be that contrast. So I just wanted, you know... Keep that in mind if I'm if I'm critical of things. It may be because I am just currently playing something else that is more focused on that particular thing. So yeah, fair enough. The things that Divinity Original Sin two did well, they did great. Yes, uh, and even the things that they did quote unquote poorly, it was still pretty good. Yeah, there was virtually nothing that this game did bad. Like I don't, I can't think of a single thing that I'm like, oh, they just shouldn't have had that, or they just shouldn't even have tried for that because like. It was all still good. It was all still fun yeah. or interesting. It just wasn't. It was you know. all incredibly well thought out. Yes, like everything was connected. You know. Yeah. If I'm nitpicking the conversation system, it's only because the rest of the game was so goddamn interesting, uh, and also because this is a podcast focused on the narrative of games, not necessarily the actual you know mechanical implementation of shooting a fireball at somebody else. Which the mechanical implementation of shooting a fireball at somebody at this game, mwah, chef's kiss, incredible, love it, <laughs> love to shoot fireballs at my friends on accident, but <laughs> or on purpose, or you know, hey, so, a lot of the time on purpose. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I would just shoot a fireball just to sort of see what happens. Sometimes we needed to kill each other. Uh, you know, it, it just it, it happens. It's how the game goes. You know, okay, I got a question for you, real quick. Yeah. There were several instances in this game where there was PvP. And what did you think about PvP? 
Huh. I generally forgot a lot of those instances. Um, yeah, there were there were uh, fights within uh, the ring of the one, the arena of the one, and then at the when you're trying to get to the big divinity pool, the big uh, the big pool of source. Uh, I think we were maybe against uh, each other on that. I don't. I can't remember. I don't really remember if we were or not because you were a rogue, so you did the thing where you're like, "I will get there in one turn. Don't even worry about it." Yeah, um, and then the uh, final battle is essentially between us to see who you know reaches divinity. So now that I've given you lots of filler time to think about it and formulate <laughs> an opinion, <laughs> what, what what do you think about PvP? I, I so. I really like the PvP in this game. I think it's a lot of fun, but I I think that's kind of it feels it's weird to do co-op PvP. I'll just say that, right? Like cuz we we also yeah. fucked around very briefly with the um the arena afterwards. It's just like, "Hey, take these pre-gen characters and fight against each other." And I thought that was really fun and interesting. Yeah, the problem she didn't won, of course, yeah. Yeah, well, why not? <laughs> um <laughs> uh the problem with the co-op PvP is, like, we built this team with these very specific weaknesses. Now we are going to break off into these two groups, and these groups have, like, very obvious weaknesses that have no compensation for it, and I would not have built them this way otherwise. Um, so it, it's, like, a little imbalanced every time it happens, but also it is really cool to be like, okay, now I'm actually fighting my friend for real, and, like, you know, the flip yeah. side of that is something that you had compensated for by your, you know, co-op partner's ability to do something you no longer have compensated for. But, like, the instances where PvP is introduced are, you know, those fights were over in a matter of minutes every single time they came up. Yeah, because you got your ass kicked. It's not... I, I vaguely recall my character ascending to Divinity at the end of the game. I vaguely recall shooting a big fireball that made you die. Just at the end? Yeah, the was, important I, one. Well... You know, gods can be killed. That's true. We, we did a lot of that. seen that from the game. <laughs> we did a lot of killing gods. In fact, I would say it, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> did you, uh, how did you feel about the PvP? Did you, did you enjoy it? Or? Well, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, if we were each making a two-person team, I would not have built it the way that I did. Yeah. Period. You would not um, have built I, a rogue that dies in one hit and a mage that dies in one hit. He was a fairly tanky rogue. Uh, or, no, no, sorry, a uh, mage. Tanky-ish. Tanky-ish. He had a big shield. Um, but yeah, no, that's exactly it. Uh, I would have probably gone fighter mage. Like, mm -hmm. I would not have had my main character be a rogue if we didn't already have a tank up front. Yeah. It's... So. But it, it, but it would, it's still but it's a been cool. fun. Yeah, it is a very yeah. cool mechanical moment um, that I don't know how it moment. works in single player. <laughs> it probably just doesn't happen in solo, right? Like, I don't know. Like, okay, so this is maybe another question entirely that I think is interesting. Like, do you was this game built? Do you feel like this game was built for co-op play, or do you feel like this was a game that was built for solo play that just had co-op integration? It's it's the second thing you said because. Uh, and, and I didn't even know this, uh, but some story beats for the, uh, for the characters, you've told me that they come with their own, like, mini cutscenes, which you just straight up don't get in co-op. There are times in co-op where the person who's hosting the game has to take over one of the characters and talk to another person in order to get the story conversation. So I think it's fairly clear that they didn't have well, co-op in mind. 
to be fair, that issue that we ran into was partially because of the way we were doing co-op, right? Um, so I don't know if you would have had to do that. Had uh, And again, for background, this, the one that we actually completed, Michael did the first 20 hours of the game because I didn't want to replay it again, uh, and then I joined him after that. So that was a solo game that you then opened to a co-op lobby. If you started with a co-op lobby, I'm not sure if you would have had to do that or not. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out in the next playthrough. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, at, at like kind of a larger level, like did you feel like you were getting a shorter or worse experience or anything because you were playing co-op versus solo? I mean, uh, worse experience in air quotes because obviously like we had a ton of fun just fucking around and being idiots. That's what I was going to say. Like I always enjoy gaming with you. Mm-hmm. Such a good time. And I think the fact that slipping on ice every five seconds is just <laughs> a knee slapping riot every fucking time <laughs> is just one of... I think playing through this game with you is probably one of like my high watermarks for just like gaming moments, not even like moments, you know, but like uh, it's it's a blast in co-op if you get someone, Um, you know, but mechanically speaking, of course, there's stuff that you miss out on. uh, And I mean, that's really about it. You just miss out on stuff Mm -hmm. in co-op. It's it's really hard to get around that without a lot of handholding and really sticking together. Yeah. Um, it's but, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. Um cuz yeah. I I think it it breaks down into two different areas, right? Um trying to completely divorce myself from the idea of like how much fun it is to play games with your friends. Um I think you you kind of you split into the the non-combat and the combat areas and I think in the non-combat areas you get a worse experience by playing co-op because again, like there are characters that I just didn't talk to because you talked to them and you did that story and I just missed that. Or there are, you know, things that just weren't filled in that I was like, I don't understand this and you had to explain it because you had done the quest leading up to it and I did not. Um, Yeah. In this, you know, that is not so prevalent in like outside of hub areas because obviously it's, there's a lot less going on so you can focus on it and both listen in, but in hub areas, it just wouldn't be interesting like two people reading text and then waiting for each other to read and hitting the next button is like not as interesting as two people kind of doing their own thing. So in that instance, it definitely feels like a worse experience in combat. I really don't know um, because you don't, you can't do that. Like, you know, that thing where you plan out every step for the next four moves. Right. And that's really satisfying to do. But on the other hand, that, kind of non-predictability by having somebody Mm -hmm. else have control and just being like, well, I hope they don't fuck up and accidentally attack the floor in front of them instead of the person six feet in front of that floor, which would happen all the time. Or I hope they don't, you know, use an AOE ability and not realize that I'm within that like radius of it is. I hope they don't misclick and spend their entire turn walking across a room. (laughs) Oh, so goddamn much. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I, I think that is a lot of fun and also just playing with somebody else really takes the edge off of frustrating things um i you know like oh, you yeah. had said slipping and falling down or shooting lightning and not realizing it was going to stun your entire team is something that would really annoy me and make me angry at myself playing solo but ended up just being fucking hilarious playing it with you so I really do, I, I think I generally do fall on the side of the combat is a better experience co-op than than single player. Because, um, again, I, I, I would play agree. like 20 hours. Um, yeah. But 
I don't know if the game as a whole is better co-op than single player. And that's, again, that's talking two people. I cannot fucking imagine it being fun with four people. Oh my no, god. No, I, I don't think that would be fun at all. The turns would take so long in combat, and you would get maybe like 30% of any conversation. Yeah. Right? And that's just... It's just not the way to. It's just not the way to do it. It's just not the way to play that fucking game. There's no way. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's let's talk about something else to kind of wrap it up here, and then chat about Baldur's Gate three a little bit. Sound good? Yeah, sure. What do you want to talk? About? Um, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. This needs to be in the podcast. It's not. You cannot cut this. <laughs> no. You cannot cut you this. You have absolutely no control over what I cut and don't cut. I'm I will sorry. be gutted if you don't. No, I'm editing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> All right. So I want to. Uh, I want to read. I, I put out the call for for people to kind of give me some uh, some feedback, and I want to highlight one of the uh, Reddit users who jumped out. This is Reddit user Huli Sugar. Um, you know, hopping in to, to give his two cents, their two cents. Uh, they say they've spent 1,400 hours total in Divinity 2 and say that it's one of the games that they kind of, you know, they do feel the need to take a break from because it's time-consuming, but they keep coming back to it and, and notoriously, like, restart over and over and over again. Um, and they bring up some kind of interesting things. First off, I did ask if, who their favorite companion was, uh, and they did say Lothip, so we're completely on brand with it. They also said Fane was really cool, and the Red Prince is a stuck-up noble, and they didn't like them, but I we just kind of landed differently on that. Sorry, you didn't understand what the Red Prince was doing. I get it. It's great. It's what It's fine. It's fine. Um, but the you know, uh, they, they go on to say that it was, you know, a super fun game. Um, you know, kind of... <laughs> I, this is a, an experience that I wish I had had so badly, but they said when they were senior in high school, they would like bring it in on a flash drive and play it at school. And that is absolutely my goddamn dream. That would have been so fucking nice to be able to play Divinity 2 in high school, just like at the school. Oh, God, yeah. I would have loved that. Um, but, the, you know, again, I, I think the two kind of things I want to talk about here is the idea of continuing to come back to this style of game over and over and over again. Um, and then they go on to say that they only play with groups they, um, you know, only play with groups that they are sure they can invest in because, you know, there are so many different competing things about this game that make it hard to do in a group, specifically because, you know, you trying to find a way to schedule multiple people as well as trying to find people who are equally as devoted to it as you are um, and then adding my own like you know there's a lot of things going on that may stress you out or tire you out in life and this is not a game that is like easy to pick up and just sort of drop into and drop out of no problem um so i do think it's kind of an interesting thing to have this game that like people can come back to over and over and over again as well as having this game that makes it like difficult to kind of get into um, I, I know you and I had talked about going back to this game again, even though we've put 400 hours into it between the two of us. Um, what, what do you think it is about the game that just keeps calling people back? Right. Because uh, it, like you see this all over, if you look at the subreddit for like, or, you know, steam forums, people don't have, you know, people either have like 60 hours into the game, they beat it once or they have. 400 to 500 plus hours into this game because they just keep playing it over and over and over again so clearly it's it's striking something with people um what do you what do you think it is that keeps people and to some degree us coming back to it because we did talk about playing it again literally as the credits were rolling yeah i think 
for there there's two reasons. I think there's a lot of variability with the builds you can do mechanically. Um, there are so many different skills, so many different combinations of skills that I think the customization would is is almost enough in and of itself to just be like, all right, I'm gonna play this rogue and he's gonna have tentacle arms, or I'm gonna <laughs> play this guy who also has tentacle arms. Just a lot of tentacle arms because it's a cool skill. Uh, but there there's a lot of variation there that uh, you can just play around with, and it's a lot of good uh, like theory crafting, right? Uh, messing around with some numbers, some like base stats, but also how some of the core get stats, pumping points into those can change. Um, and the other reason that I personally want to come back mm-hmm. is that there are, there's so many different ways that the story can go. Uh, not even just at the end, there's a lot of different storylines that can have just completely different, uh, endings to them. A lot of smaller ones some medium ones, mm-hmm. uh, you can choose to save people or kill people. You can be the bad guys there's there's like a whole different branch of the story that we we didn't even know existed and that's still there for us to go back to yeah and there's like tons of dlc that we can mess around with stuff that like larian studios has put out too like oh yeah there and stuff that we can play with shout outs to larian for just continuing to put out a ludicrous number of free updates to this game and never charging for like full dlc or anything like that oh man killer studio yeah. killer um yeah, yeah, I, so I think I think you're definitely right. Uh, I part of the reason, um, and I I think I I echo a lot of that in that one of the things that I want to continue to do is, is go back and see the variations in these storylines. Um, but I want to maybe point out or at least shout out something that uh, something that I found drawing me into it the the longer I was away from it, or maybe something that I didn't realize was part of the reason I was interested to go back, which is that like. They've just created a really rich world that is just it's a it it's fun to exist in that world, right? Like it is in a lot of ways it's kind of a traditional role playing world, but I think they play with enough of those ideas in an interesting enough way that it just it's fun to exist in that world more so than it is to exist in like the, you know, a traditional D&D type world or something like that. Or the right? real world. <laughs> or definitely the <laughs> real world. Um, <laughs> you know, again, they, they just kind of twist tropes. I think the, you know, introduction of lizard people is a lot of fun, but then, like, they don't stop there. It's like, oh, yeah, and here's their cool societal structure, and also they're shitty slave owners, so you should probably hate them. Uh, and then, like, here's elves. Aren't they cool? They eat the flesh of people to gain their memories, and it's like, oh, like, there's just a lot of really small... Uh, just, no, no, neither of those are small. There's a lot of like yeah. interesting things that they say. do that make it so like other world, like other kind of traditional in air quotes fantasy worlds feel a little flat comparatively coming from this game. Um, and I, I don't know that it's necessarily a fault of those fantasy worlds as much as it is just like those tropes have been played out a lot. So I'm maybe more tired of them. Again, like we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 here briefly which I think is so far a very cool game, but I, you know, I definitely already feel that like, oh yeah, I know all of these tropes. I know all of these types of characters. I know all of these like political structures they're introducing. So it's not as, as fresh and as interesting as the, I don't know. I don't remember what the world is that you exist in a divinity original sin two, but I, I, they do a really good job kind of carving out a niche for themselves in terms of what they've made. Yeah. And it makes me want to go back. So I think that's part of it, too. 
Um, and but we're going to go back and we're going to be airbenders. We're absolutely going to go back and be airbenders, and I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so all that being said, do you have any other closing th- thoughts on Divinity 2 before we chat briefly about the Baldur's Gate 3 early access? I don't have anything that's sticking out. I just really love this game. This has been one of my uh, favorite games i mean i've put 260 hours into it not a lot of games get that much time out of a person right and not um, this type of game like this is not a multiplayer online you know competitive game yeah this isn't like league of legends or like some br or something right this isn't just replayability every 30 minutes this is a 60 hour long story at the base of it yeah and to be able to just kind of rope you in and to have the um to have the uh what do you call it the uh, the fights just feel fresh every time fantastic just yeah. stellar job for sure great um, game i would i would just echo a lot of that um it's been an absolutely wild ride taking so fucking long to finally get to the conclusion of this game Holy. but it, it felt extremely worth it and i was um very very happy for all the time we put in and it was it was a pleasure 100% of the time except for the one thing i will point out is this is not a good game to play on like a saturday night at 10 p.m. three drinks deep with your friends it's just not built for that it's not built for that don't do that don't yeah, don't do you that you cannot one. drink and keep any of this straight no it- <laughs> it's it's just too much and you'll just be like holy shit stop reading i don't want to do this anymore it's not it's not built for that um no but an absolute an absolute power i I mean generally genuinely and truly i think probably my favorite of this style of rpg that i've ever played Uh, i don't know that there's anything that even comes close to it i know some people were saying the original dragon age but i never beat it i dropped off it pretty quickly so this clearly worked better for me so yeah um all right let's talk uh super quickly i just want to get your thoughts i'm not you know i don't want any like specific talking points but how are you enjoying Baldur's gate 3 we've put you know co-op we've put what like 10 oh, I don't know. hours into it, maybe? No, each? we've only got... Wait, really? You think we've got 10 hours each? I feel like it. I feel like we probably do. Maybe not, but I feel like we easily have 6 or 7, if not 10. I think we've... Yeah, I, I would say like close to 6 or 7, I think. Okay. Um, But uh, I'm going to preface all of this with I hate, hate, hate when people make uh, assumptions or big criticisms of early access games... Bro, it is in development. Give yes. it a fucking minute. And this one uh, is extremely in development. Yes. So everything, uh, every criticism I have, take it with a grain of salt. Because it is not just likely, it, well, no, it is likely that it's going to get fixed. Yeah. Um, or at so, least changed. You know, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I'm having fun with it. Um, something that they've changed from Divinity is that... All of the conversations are like motion capped, voice acted. It's really slick. Yeah. All of the characters feel like they've got real personality and depth, and it's fucking cool yeah. what they've been doing with it. It's I very really like it. cinematic. So cinematic. One of the, one of the characters you meet, the way you meet him is that he. He's like, oh, look in that bush. And then he pulls a knife on you and he like gets you to the ground. And there's just the dialogue tree while he's holding a knife to your throat on the ground. And you're kind of struggling thinking about what to say next. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and in Divinity yeah. too, that same thing would have happened. It just would have all played out over text if your character models were standing right next to each other, not moving. Exactly. So big step up there. Um, 
a few there's a lot of quality of life improvements from divinity original sin 2 uh such as not just the ability to listen into conversation but to kind of weigh in and if you're playing co-op you can kind of vote for a response mm-hmm. on the tree which is really nice it's it's a little bit more interactive um another one is that if two characters have the same uh initiative like right next to each other and they're not there's not an enemy in between their initiatives those characters can act at the same time which is so nice mm. which is so nice which is so nice for not just having to wait you know examine your fingertips have other uh tabs open while you wait for your buddy to make the next yeah. turn because you can do it too um and and as for just it coming from you know D D fifth edition it's so uh what do you call it um it, it's so true to it so faithful uh, that's the one thank you it is so faithful to D D fifth edition Oh my god, such and, and I'm so impressed with how well those mechanics so far are switching over to uh, you know, a video game format. Yeah. Yeah. I I I definitely am enjoying the time that we're spending with it. Um, you know, I will say one of the things that has definitely kept me from coming back to it as ravenously as I normally would. Um, I the two main things are obviously it's early access and only act 1 is out, so, you know, It'll be another year to a year and a half before we would get to see the conclusion of that story, so I'm kind of drawing it out for all it's worth. And two is it just runs like complete and utter ass on my computer. It's just barely it's held together with duct duct tape and strings with what I'm running. Um yep. so that's yep. like to some extent it's like, wow, that's really cool. But that mustache character model is essentially just a gray square on the lowest graphic setting. So it kinda yep. does take me out of it just a little bit, but it's fine. Um, yeah, and you know half the classes aren't even in the game yet. Yeah, um, and all of that, it, you know, optimization comes down the road, obviously, and and new content comes down the road. I'm really curious to see. Um, there's a couple of things, um, in in terms of the skills that I like really well. Like I like the implementation of it. I like the, you know, how it how it looks and how it feels to use these different skills that even in like you know normal D and D were maybe not as interesting. And and the way that they kind of harshly stick to these rules makes the world feel punishing in a way that. Um, I, I really enjoy it makes you kind of have to think before you act a little bit um, I am I'm curious to see you know because they are just you know this is just D&D right they're just using the D&D 5e rule set I'm curious to see how a lot of these non-combat abilities are going to feel differentiated because um, I know a lot of them so far just seem like oh this will give you a bonus to you know, roles that you could potentially make in, you know, like conversations or perception checks or, or things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's interesting, but, you know, like, like thaumaturgy in D&D 5e, you know, the ability to like, you know, make your voice booming or sound interesting or a specific way is like a really, really cool and interesting skill when you're sitting around a table and you can describe how it differentiates itself and like what effect you're looking for. But my, my assumption is that ability is just going to give you like a plus two modifier to a skill check, um, which I think I think it gives you advantage on intimidation. Yeah, which is cool, but it's it, it loses a lot of that flavor, which is the yeah. kind of thing that I'm concerned about when you're porting fifth edition directly to a um, uh, a video game atmosphere. Right. Like, you know, using it to make your voice sound like you're you know, trying to intimidate somebody by pretending you're a god is a lot different than going, I use this ability and then I go through this dialogue tree and I get, you know, this role is successful instead. Um, Yeah. Again, who knows what they'll end up doing with it. 
Um, I'm I'm just curious to see how those feel differently throughout the the run of of Baldur's Gate three. Um, but again, it's doing a lot of the things that we talked about. It's it's got those separate skill checks. I think the way that it's presented is really interesting. I think the you know the game feels very dynamic. Uh, feels like a lot of fun, and I'm I don't know. I'm I'm very interested to continuing to go on and seeing kind of how it develops over time. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how people are going to feel who didn't play Divinity 1 or 2. You know, uh, Baldur's Gate is a franchise that's been around for a while, so I wonder oh, yeah. how people are, if if there's just going to be this large subsect of people who come in never having played this type or this studio's type of game, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the combat seems pretty similar. There's high ground, there's jumping, there's yeah. spells, environment interacts. Um, it is. And it's, again, very dense, so. Yeah. I have already seen there are already a lot of people who have played or started the early access that didn't play Divinity 1 or 2 or who played and disliked Divinity 1 and 2 but loved Baldur's uh, Gate uh, and those people are not particularly happy and while I understand the grievances it's also like yo Baldur's Gate 3 wasn't getting made by a different company like it wasn't gonna happen yeah. if Larian didn't take it so like enjoy what you get but again, I, I have no reverence for Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, so it's kind of not that big a deal to me. And also the mechanic where you can push an enemy off a cliff to their death will never, never, never stop being oh the best God. thing to happen in a video game. So I will forgive that, anything leading up to that. That bugbear assassin, he was just like crouched there and like I sling a couple spells at him, just miss, miss. I try to charm him. All right, fails. And then you just run up and you push him. <laughs> And that's it. You just push him off a fucking ledge. It's so good. Incredible. 10 out of 10. Truly a masterpiece of game making. Um, So, I I don't know. I'm very excited. I just, you know, I didn't think there was any way we could get through this episode without talking about it. Um, You know, I am typically against early access games. Not, like, morally, just in terms of I don't necessarily want to engage with them because I don't want to burn out on them before the completed product comes out. But given how yeah. many times we've restarted Divinity 2, I kind of figured, ah, if we have to restart Baldur's Gate 3 once, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Don't also, worry, I'll get the Act 1 for us. Thank you. <laughs> also, like you had mentioned when we first started playing it, um, the you know, it, since it's D&D 5e, there are a lot more class-specific things, whereas in Divinity 2, anybody can kind of be anything, and a lot of people can be a little bit of everything. So you don't, I, I think the runs will be more different in Baldur's Gate 3 than they would have been in Divinity 2. So I think there's, yeah. seems like there will already be a significant amount of replayability. Though I know there's already people that have put hundreds of hours into Baldur's Gate 3. And I just, Insane. How I, do you, how I don't do you get understand. that much out of it? I, there's six classes. You know? Something, something that I'll, I'll tell you, something that I'm a little worried about because I don't know if they're going to do this or not, um, is if the uh, the characters like the story characters mm-hmm. if they're going to be tied to a class because in divinity original sin 2 you know you meet a you what do you mean what? i mean they're not, i mean in divinity 2 they're not yeah sorry yeah and i was like oh they're not oh thank god um i don't have to worry anymore big load off my mind i could sleep well tonight but in divinity original sin 2 they're not you you walk up to a main character and recruit them to your party and you're like you know, I tend to favor a sword and shield, but I've also been known to sling spells or work my way with a bow and arrow. And you can just, you know, turn them into whatever you want, whatever you, whatever fits your need, right? Yeah. But so far, with Baldur's Gate 2... Uh, right, sorry, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, the char- named characters are tied to individual classes, and it seems like 
so far their story is tied to that specific class. Yeah. Like, I think Shadowheart has to be a cleric for her story to work. Yeah. I... And if that's the case, that's that's pr- a little prohibitive because I wouldn't necessarily want a cleric in my party. Yeah. I, I think that almost certainly will be the case, uh, which is a little unfortunate, but I think, you know, that kind of adds to the replayability, right? Like on the on the bright side, so. it means hey, I didn't want to take that character because I didn't want their class specifically, so I'll just go back and play it again. Um, so yeah. I, you know, I I share that worry a little bit, especially because I, if this game is like Divinity, then there's not a good reason to not play the you know origin characters because they add a lot of flavor and interesting kind of quirks to the story. But if they're tied to a class, there's a good reason not to play them. So. We'll, yeah. we'll have to see when that all gets fleshed out. Um, I'm very excited to, to keep playing it and play a little bit more of it. So I'm, you know, hopefully they put out a patch soon that makes the game run slightly better on my computer. We'll jump right back into it. Can't wait. Um, Fantastic. But other than that, I think that's going to be a wrap on our Divinity Original Sin 2 slash Baldur's Gate 3 slash Larian Studios Appreciation episode. Um, so uh, first off, thank you so much for joining me for this journey, for this this solo no duncan episode uh, uh no problem w- w- did, did i get more laughs did, did i do it did i carry the episode you you know hey we all bring something different to this episode and let's leave it oh at boy. that <laughs> um <laughs> never, sh- never showing up again <laughs> if you want to see what we are up to you can follow us at uh from twitter at thoughts from p1 that is thoughts from p and then the numeral one you can send us an email. Hey, let us know what you thought. Let us know if you have a game you want us to play. Let us know if you have something that, hey, if we just got something wrong, let us know and we'll make a correction. We won't make a correction, but you can let us know anyway. <laughs> um, so that would be player one at gmail.com and one is spelt out. So thoughtsfromplayerone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Thoughts from Player One on Facebook. Mostly you will just get updates when we put out episodes. But hey, every now and again I do something um, something a little bit differently on there. Um, I think that's it. Leave us a review if your podcast listening app of choice allows you to do so. If not, go ahead and create an Apple account just for us and leave us an iTunes review. It really does help out. Um, would really appreciate that. Uh, I think that is pretty much everything duncan usually does the outro so i have to spend a minute thinking about it normally this is when i would be looking up all this stuff because i've checked out uh i think that's pretty much it oh my god and now for a very special fact from the one the only the inscrutable duncan What do they want me to do here? Okay, a fun fact. Okay. Okay, cooking. Cooking. I'm I think I'm pretty good at cooking. Let me teach you a recipe. Um uh how about ramen? Okay, let me tell you Duncan's cooking corner how I make um ramen plus. And this is really a mishmash of other things I've had. And, you know, I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm not going to, you know, putz around with anything. I'm leaving a lot of responsibility up to you, okay? So here we go. All right. Get some ginger. You can get frozen little thumbs. You can grate it. You can, you know, uh, just not powdered. Get fresh. Get real ginger. Get green onions as well. And some garlic, okay? Now, this is seeming like a lot. 
It's really not a lot, trust me. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna surplus you, but you're gonna love this ramen, right? Okay, so put those, put put that ginger, those green onions, and that garlic in a pan, per, per, preferably a very large pot actually, with some like sesame oil or olive oil, vegetable oil, whatever you got, right? Then uh, let that let that simmer. Let it simmer until it, it wafts into your nose, till you feel that sting in your nostril, that that ginger, that garlic. Then, when it's ready, when you're good, pour about oof like four cups of water. I'd say two cups of water and two cups of broth. So like a total of four cups of liquid. You can use vegetable broth, chicken broth. I like to use better than bouillon. That makes it, you know, that makes it for me. Um, <clears throat> then what I would do is um, I would cut up some, while that's kind of simmering, while the, the ginger and everything you put in there is, is kind of simmering together, I would put in like very, very thinly sliced, um, red peppers and some mushrooms and let that just simmer just let that ooh, let that mushroom get out into the broth let that pepper get nice and soft and then what i want you to do very last thing you want to do drop those ramen noodles in now i just buy the pre-made ramen noodles and toss that seasoning packet i know it's wasteful but it's mostly just salt and salt's like like super cheap so don't worry about it don't sweat it you know we have to sweat so much these days that just don't sweat that one thing all right so drop that ramen in and then just just cover it turn the turn the heat off the rest the remaining heat will cook it you know it, it'll it'll really take care of it. it might take a little bit longer but it'll prevent you from overcooking the ramen which is a big problem you don't want to overcook the ramen um and then you can just Pour that bad boy over and enjoy it, you know? I, I like to put a little bit of sriracha on top, you know, maybe a little chili garlic sauce inside. You know, you season it how you do, you know? I'm just giving you a base. I'm giving you an idea. You know, I, I'm more of a conceptual master. I'm, I'm really putting the idea in your head so you can fill in the gaps. Um, and if you want, you can braise some like chicken thighs, like get some like honey glazed chicken thighs or you know like do a little like marinade like oj soy sauce and that was my ramen recipe um if you want a more formatted version of it um just learn to go with the flow because i'm not writing it down for you and this has been duncan's cooking